Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast that covers magic, houseplants, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And we're your co-hosts, and today we're going to be covering Yule. Before we get started, though, so going into the history of Yule, I was doing some research about Odin, and I fell into a little rabbit hole, Shannon. Do you ever, when you're doing your little research topics, are you ever just fall down a a whole ass rabbit hole? Oh, all the time. All of the time. (laughs) So looking into like Scandinavian history alongside looking at stuff about Odin, I learned something really cool this week. Um, And did you know that Bluetooth was a guy, like an actual guy? (laughs) It just like, when you texted me this last night, my head exploded. I, I could, could hear not it believe from it. here. It was so crazy. It's like, how the hell did I not know that? How does how does everybody not know that? Right. Well, okay. So one of the great mysteries that I have never been like interested in enough to actually do research about it was why is the Bluetooth symbol a freaking rune? Like it's part of the runic alphabet. Yeah. Which doesn't make sense, um, especially when you consider that most companies that are, like, making phones are based in Korea or China or Japan. Um, But, yeah, so Bluetooth has a rune. Um, Bluetooth was a guy who was, like, the king of Denmark and connected, being the keyword, all the little Danish tribes into one kingdom. So that connection, I think, was kind of the basis for the name if you look it up on wikipedia yeah bluetooth (laughs) a guy yeah i love that i i think it's fascinating that something so mundane has such a badass history (laughs) right no i was just like i I, you know in my imagination though i was like i can you imagine bluetooth the guy like time traveled and now we use his nickname as like a verb like oh can you uh bluetooth your phone into the speaker or, yeah know. it's like everything is done by bluetooth mm. these mm-hmm. days and nobody knows who he is which i think is like the biggest insult because i would hope that like if something like you know hundreds of years from now was named like whatever like old poop eyes which is nick- <laughs> nickname for me i would like to think that people would at least know who i am and i yeah. feel like it's like it's super shitty that it's like such a common thing in our culture, but nobody knows it. So I feel like if he time traveled, he'd also just be fucking bummed about that. But also, I mean, I think that's like a good kind of segue here too, though, talking about the Bluetooth. It's like runes, or at least that particular rune, are everywhere. Like literally, Ben, my friend who helps us with the sound on this little podcast adventure, has a Bluetooth speaker on the dresser right by where I'm recording. And I can see the rune right there. There's runes all over the place. So um. yeah, no, I mean, I love runes. I was actually, um, I'm right now I'm proofing some bread. It's like, I'm making sourdough. I'll probably, it'll probably be ready for its like second rise after we get done recording today. Um, But I love putting runes into my bread. Like a lot of times I'll do like the L has because that one I think is pretty easy to do with, um, you know, when you're like just cutting into it with the knife because it kind of looks like a Y that has like an extra fork up the middle. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. Um, So I feel like L has is a good one. I also have L has actually like under my doormats, like at the Mm. front and back door too, because it's like the rune for protection. But I love runes. I really do love them. I think it's like, they're fascinating in the fact that we like use them all the time without even realizing it is just like it's super interesting. Like the Elder Futhark stuff is is kind of everywhere. Oh yeah, yeah. Did I? I should have sent it to you. I don't think I did. I saw they have rune dice with the Futhark runes. Oh, interesting. I love which that. I, which I thought was just like I mean, not. 100% sure about it, but I thought it was a fun idea because I mean, you and me both love to play tabletop games. So, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I I'm obsessed with games. I'm waiting. I I actually funded a Kickstarter that just started shipping out that I'm very excited about. And the uh 
the whole concept behind it is it's like a plant-based game, which I love. Hold on. I'm looking up the name because I want everybody to support it because it did hit its goal. It's called Plantopia, the card game. And oh, a perfect am... tie-in to the Ones and Friends podcast. Exactly. Exactly. And it's so cool because it's like a game that's about, as they put it, puns and plants. And the way they describe it is they're like, in a perfect world, every plant and animal would have the ability to talk, sing, rhyme, joke, and even pun with each other. Alas, that is not to be, but we can make do by imagining and designing a game where they can. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan, just based on that description. Uh, we'll have to play it together. You know, actually, and I think one thing I did want to announce is that we are thinking about maybe doing a live recording. I'm not sure if it would actually be a live episode, but that is something very exciting that is possibly in the pipeline. Yeah, I think that it's going to be a really exciting like opportunity to also maybe answer some listener questions if yes. anybody wants us to like talk about anything because I know that you know, it's not fun to like randomly email podcasters that you don't know, but if you have a question, I mean, like our Instagram is perfect for that. There's also, you know, our email, which will it's in the description. But I love the idea of maybe asking to like talk to some of our listeners and answer some questions. And it would also be a really cool opportunity to get to know you guys a little bit better, because I know that there's a, a group of core listeners that are downloading like every episode. So you exist. We just I want to hear from you. Yeah, we want to we want to know. And you know, I I'm going to I'm going to throw that on there. I promise if you do send us a message that I personally will only creep on you the normal amount. <laughs> I think that that's fair. The normal amount. I I think that the normal amount of creeping is definitely a bar that moves a lot. But we <laughs> Nick won't show up at your house and take your stars if you send us a question and let I us know might, who though. you are. Nick, don't threaten our listeners. Ravenous. <laughs> Ravenous appetite for stars. Oh so my how God. about if you won't write us a question, we're going to ask early this episode. Give us some stars. Okay. I need them. Yeah. And I will. I get what I want. I'm an Aries. Watch out. <laughs> he gets what he wants or he lights you on fire. But speaking <laughs> of fire and stars, Nick, Yule. Yule is coming. It is around the corner. It literally is around the corner. So uh, going into the topic of Yule, I thought it would be neat to start with a little bit of history. And as we all know, um, one of the best places as someone without like research credentials, so to speak, um, to get accurate historical information is actually Wikipedia. So, um, you know, I will say they are doing their little drive. Donate to Wikipedia. Give them a dollar. Yeah, I'm not man. getting paid to say that. It's just, it's nice to have. But, uh, so the origins of Yule date back to at least the Bronze Age, very, very likely before that, to um, midwinter festivals, which were feasts. And so we're kind of going to look at two different paths that that sort of prototype festival took. Uh, one of which is the Norse or Danish interpretation of those midwinter rituals and the Saxon slash Anglo-Saxon. So that'll be places like Germany, England, Scotland, and Wales. Um, and so in both the old Germanic and Norse traditions, it is a feasting festival celebrated around midwinter night. Wait, what? A festival uh, for feasting? I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a novel idea. Um, oh, God. This is the first I've heard of a feast at a festival. So um, one thing I will say that really stood out to me when I was doing this research was that the, the Saxon version had one of the, you know, because these are usually multi-day celebrations, like modern Yule, I think is, is it it's, 10? It's 12. 12 it's days. 12. That's yeah, where yeah. the 12 days of Christmas comes from, is Yuletide is typically 12 days. So it's, it's kind of a long thing. Uh, you know, it's it's a lot over the 12 days of Christmas. Yeah, Eight nights I mean, of Hanukkah. You know, we, we can commit. It's the winter. We've already harvested our grain and taken our livestock down from the hills. 
because yeah. we're we're medieval peasants and that's you know that's what they were it's doing like, what else is there to do other than like drink and feast and welcome the coming light so around what is now christmas eve the saxon version had a modernite 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 not sure but it's mother's night uh and so of course this presented a great opportunity for early christian leadership to do what they did best and straight up rip off a pagan holiday so uh very cool early christians um so what did they steal well the date for the mother night obviously um the tradition of the yule log and uh by the way how delicious is the uh, bouche de noel you ever try one of those oh my god yes i took french all through like high school and when i was in college and I feel like every Christmas when I was in French class and in like middle school and high school, there was always a bouche de Noël. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Good little, God, you know, the little mushroom, good. the little fake moss. I mean, you can really get intricate with it. They're so cute and tasty. Oh my God! And speaking of tasty, uh, the Norse version had a sonal sonargulder, which is the Yule boar, aka the Christmas ham. So just thieving all around. They would also go caroling and sing each other songs <laughs> leading up to the feast. Oh my Doesn't God. that I, sound nice and I, very familiar? It sounds very familiar. And it also reminds me. So I just watched Miranda, as you know, finally. Mm-hmm. And the episode with the carolers was comical when they were all like hiding in the shop so the carolers wouldn't know they were there and i was like very much the same feeling though like opening a door to carolers is so awkward oh i'm sure but (laughs) you you were a big choir nerd in school and i would almost guarantee that you have been a caroler uh yeah no i totally have and uh doesn't make it less awkward now, though. It doesn't. But, you know, I, ha- I as your best friend of, what is it, like 15 years now? It's I have, seven I have, years. I have to call you out on these things. That's um, fair. But, okay, so in the Norse version, though, uh, there was a Yule goat. And this is something that's super fun. And I'm literally, I'm, I'm reviving it. But I'm just going to do it to my roommate. So in the, the Harvet, you know, the the midwinter feasting festival version of it, the last bundle or sheaf of harvested grains that you had in storage was the Yule goat. And you could either make like an effigy out of your stalks and reeds and stuff um, to kind of represent a goat. Now, if you weren't a farmer, now everyone was farmer back in the Bronze Age. Uh <laughs> Did I say everyone was farmer? Oh my god, everyone was a farmer of some kind back then. Um, you probably you you probably had some grains. You know, that's pretty much what you did. Uh, I mean, yeah, it kind of was the thing. You could use a rough piece of wood. In some of the like modern interpretations of this tradition, people will even use like corn husks, which um, you know, I'm recording from Texas, and I know this is tamale season. Oh my so god. If- I just learned how to make tamales. My friend Ana Alicia taught me and Eric, and we made so many tamales, and they're like decent for like two white kids that made them. And I've got some frozen, and I cannot wait to eat more. I'm I'm very excited for you. But I was gonna say, you know, you buy your corn husks to make those. So you know, maybe if you thought it would be fun and kind of cheeky to do a Yule goat, maybe maybe give that a go. So there, so it was it was kind of like a prank thing though. Um, so sometimes they would have it around when they would um, give it little gifts, you know, like a little bit of food, you know, a little bit of wine, little gifts, little, you know, little little gifts. Um, but the, there's a prank element as well, which, again, I thought I just thought it was fun. And I had literally barely heard of this before. The Yule goat. So you make your little goat and you hide it somewhere. And in your neighbor's house, which, I mean, that kind of seems like maybe you're, go- are you going to go into your neighbor's house and hide a goat? Like, you're probably invading their privacy and we don't recommend that. But I mean, like, maybe <laughs> I'll hide it in my roommate's room. But when you find it, when you find that someone has hidden the Yule goat, you have to then hide it somewhere else for someone else to find. So, you know, maybe. Oh, my if God. You- but like, doesn't that sound so much like the stupid elf on a shelf thing? 
No, no. Shannon, like, literally nothing about Christmas is original. I know. it. Uh, it's This is another, like, episode where we're just like, and all of your favorites are actually pagan. Right. So, like, <laughs> literally something like the Elf on the Shelf, which has not been around that long. No, it's only been, like, what, like, five or six years? Maybe t- ten most? I don't know. I don't have children, but... I mean, I don't either. Big surprise to everyone out there, I right. know. But uh, I do not everyone. have children. Uh, but I don't, I don't remember even seeing, like, the memes about it until, like, five years ago, so. Yeah. Definitely wasn't around when we were kids. So it was post-90s. Right. Yeah, definitely was not a 90s thing. So somewhere in the 2000s, they came up with Elf on the Shelf, but they didn't They didn't come up. Uh, they didn't really come up with that. Although it's slightly different. Yeah, yeah. Slight variation. Slight variation. But it feels like the inspiration is there. (laughs) Yes. Um, But yes, you could bring it little gifts. You could hide it somewhere. Do a prank on your neighbor. Don't break into their house. Again, I'm not recommending that. That's rude. We we do not encourage B&Es. But, you know, it's not all fun and goats, though. So the Norse version ended up being kind of brutal. Like, brutal as fuck, if I'm being... Fully like, honest. Like the Norse do. Mm, mm-hmm. If so, we're going to be real. <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about the Wild Hunt, which is a procession of spirits, sometimes led by Odin in his wolf-drawn cart, um, which would parade through the forest or through the sky in the dark of night in the middle of winter. And if you saw it, it's bad. It's bad news. You know, you might die this winter. You might have, uh, it's, it's, it's bad luck to see it. Ah. But there was a kind of a culture around recreating the wild hunt. So sometimes they would have a task for the younger people in a village to do in the dark, in the middle of the woods. And they would kind of go out one day and practice it during daylight. And then if they were able to finish it in the dark, in the middle of the woods... Uh, it kind of represented like mastery of the forest, mastery of, over winter. I, and... feel, I love that. I mean, kind of like, a, I mean, you know, I I think it's always interesting to see like the ceremonies that we have used throughout history to sort of like mark transitional phases for like kids into adults. Right, right, right. And, um, you know, so like one example of that was you might hide something. You know, it's to be like, oh, you have to go through the woods in the black of night, in the middle of winter, and, you know, make your way to the creek to find the thing and bring it back to the village. Maybe it's the Yule Goat. You know, I don't know what they're hiding. But, um, so that was really interesting. And ghost parades aside, that's not even the bleakest part of the Norse Yule. Oh, so we were talking about it being a feasting holiday. And so I think a lot of people out there that are into Norse mythology... And especially the people out there that are incorporating old Norse practices into their personal craft are going to be familiar with the uh, the longhouse, which was the communal meeting place for the village, as well as sort of the religious center of the village. It's like part temple, part feasting hall, part sort of bar, really. And, All fun. You know, it's the, the, it's the communal area. Um, but so they would have their feast and everyone would bring some livestock. Uh, boar was popular, but also elk, goats, cows, really any livestock that you could provide sheep um, and, you know, grains and baked breads and, you know, winter vegetables. And so you would bring a bit and take a bit. So it was all communal. But you were sort of intended to bring enough for you. That way you were not sort of being a scrub and um, taking more than you were bringing in. Because no, we don't want no scrubs. We don't want no scrub. But so this is where it actually gets interesting. Um, So part of the tradition was that this was a sacrifice. A sacrifice to make it through the winter. Um, So they would gather the blood from these livestock, which they fully intended to eat, by the way. This was not like, oh, we're going to get the blood and then throw it out. I mean, these are, again, medieval, peasanty, farmery kind of people. So, I mean, they're not going to waste yeah. food like that. That would but be so would, dumb back then. <laughs> it would be very dumb. Um, but they would gather the blood either in a big pot or a crock or even like a, you know, some kind of container 
So they'd have a large, uh, let's call it a, a cauldron of blood or, or, or a bucket, a big bucket. And, like, okay, um, Carrie. Yeah. Uh, and they would uh, gather little bundles of twigs, uh, almost like a little broom is, is what it had kind of looked like. And they would uh, paint the, the altar pieces for the various deities that they would have in the longhouse, um, the, the bases of them and the feet uh, with blood, which is a bit grim, but, you know, blood sacrifice not being out of the ordinary back then, not so grim. Uh, but then they would also paint the walls. Oh, it keeps going. Uh, the floors. Um, really anything Ooh. that they could reach. Um, they would paint it with the sacrifice blood. Um, so very metal. Very yeah. metal way to celebrate Yule. So they have a ghost parade where if you see it, you will probably die. Um, you know, they they would paint the walls with, with blood. blood. Um, so, you know, hey, you know, who... Who am I to judge? I mean, I think kind of the interesting thing here is that they really went for it with the the bleakness. Yeah, um, I mean, in the, the Norse version, the Norse don't half-ass anything. No, 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 no. Um, so I think the modern pagans out there are are still going to recognize some elements of the historic celebrations, though. So actually, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that. Part of the modern Yule celebration has an homage to the Wild Hunt, um, but in this version, Hecate, an old have, favorite yeah. of ours. I love Hecate. I have actually heard about this, so it's really interesting to know that that's where this comes from. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, most of us are not painting anything with animal blood, but we might have a feast or yeah. or just a really nice dinner. And now you can tell everyone at your Yule festivities that the Christmas ham has a very long tradition of being a pagan sacrifice to keep the bleakness of winter at bay. Uh, so, um, but you know, these days we tend to take the, stick to the feast, the Yule log, maybe some small gifts and symbolic sacrifices. Yeah. Uh, although I would say one of the great things about Yule versus Christmas is that the Focus is less on the gift giving and more about the togetherness. You know, it's like we're all gathered around the the hearth and the warm center of the home in the dead of winter, like passing the time together and making it through together. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite parts about Yule is like this is, you know, the sun is coming back. Right. I mean, and it's very slow, but this is this is symbolic of us going into like the deepest, darkest time of the year. And from here, the light only continues to come back. And it's a really great time to think about, you know, sort of new starts, you know, fresh starts, shrugging off like old traumas. And I've been reading this great book, Nick, that I sent you a picture of called Queering Your Craft by mm, Cassandra mm -hmm. Snow. And the passage about Yule, I think, really struck me. And it's something that, you know, I think you and I can both relate to in, in different ways, especially for like queer people, which like both of us are. Uh, the holidays can be a really painful time for mm -hmm. some folks. And I think that the idea of using Yule in place of Christmas, you know, could potentially be really cathartic for some people. You know, it's like this can be a time to really like shrug off the pain and trauma associated with this time of year. Um, and I just I just thought that was a really beautiful way to think about it, too, because, you know, Christmas is so secular at this point. Like, I actually do celebrate both. But the Yule celebration just feels so much more special. Yeah. To me, and it's, you know, and it's like part of the symbolism of Yule is the rebirth of the great horn hunter god on the winter solstice. Yeah. Like, that's really the main event for a lot of people is that symbolic rebirth and like we've made it through the darkest hours and we yeah. are reborn into sort of the next season. So, um, but I think, you know, one fun thing about Yule and the Yule Tide is that really looking back, you can see that it was based on sort of one, I mean, I, I wouldn't even say singular, but there's, it is very easy to trace it back to some kind of root. And I think, you know, it has branched out to where we can see sort of the Saxon version and the Norse version. And here we are 
hundreds of years later. And it's branched out even further into all of the sects of neo-paganism, Celtic revival paganism, Norse revival paganism. So make it your own. Like this is really like since the beginning, people have been making this their own. Yeah. And it does come back to that thing you and I always say, we're like, trust your intuition. Like Mm. what works for you? What feels good? I mean, if you are looking at some Yule practices and you're like, man, that just doesn't resonate. Then like, fuck it. There's no, there is not a rule book that says you have to check off everything on this list to be a witch. And if someone tells you that there is like, turn around and run away from that person. Oh my God. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And then they're going to ask you for money so they can help you. (laughs) It's like you might be entering a pyramid scheme. Beware. Mm. Yeah. Well, look, I'm not going to call anyone out, but there's a lot of them out there. And I think if someone wants you to pay to learn witchcraft in in most regards, seems a little scammy. Um, But yeah, so kind of moving into, though, because I personally thought it was so interesting when I was doing this research that I wanted to dig even deeper and do our deity profile for this week on Odin. I was so stoked to learn more about Odin because like I really don't know much about Norse mythology. That's kind of like a blank spot in my, you know, my all of my knowledge about historical figures and like deities and things like that. So I'm I cannot wait. Nick, tell me more about Odin. Kind of starting off, uh, Odin is typically portrayed as someone with a bushy beard long gray hair he does have one eye we're going to talk about that just a little later on fascinating but with like a brimmed hat and a cloak so so santa yeah so if we're kind of imagining this very wizardy looking guy odin and we're kind of thinking about in relation to yule it's santa i mean it's not but it's it's not a a huge leap to uh to get to maybe Santa is based on Odin. Um, Yeah. You know, so I just wanted to like look at Odin a little bit closer and maybe understand a little bit why Norse Yule is so fucking metal with the blood paint and the ghost parade. Uh, So Odin, though, is part of the larger pantheon. Uh, Odin has parents, brothers, a wife, and children. Um, So I thought, you know, it's a little bit paradoxical if you just take that information on its own uh, that he is credited with the creation of earth and uh, how could the creator god have parents but the actual mythology of the the norse pantheon um has the world is is all connected via a really massive tree the the Yggdrasil and so our world is a branch and Valhalla is a branch and hell is a branch and there's even one for if you die in the middle of the sea there's like an afterlife branch for that there's the realm of the trolls the ice giants um there you know there's many different branches even what they they even say that there's very likely branches that we don't know about so it's like it in that bigger context it makes sense that odin has like a whole backstory including having parents but uh odin created our world our branch of the yggdrasil um by killing a giant uh called emir um which doesn't that that kind of sounds a little familiar we were talking about greek mythology um yeah and didn't isn't like one of the first things that they did was to kill the titans yeah you are so right so we've got you know two different mythologies having their origin story by killing a giant so where we're gonna take a a a pretty big left turn though from that is that um the rotting corpse of the giant is the world we live on it like little lice oh gross but also so cool um so who knew who knew we were all living on a giant rotting corpse very metal i every the more i read into norse mythology i'm just like wow there i can see why there's so many metal bands in norway and uh, alternatively why non-scandinavian metal bands love that viking imagery 
because <laughs> there is a lot of brutality. So we all live on a giant rotting corpse. Very cool. Um, so he gave the gift of life after that to the first humans, uh, Ask and Imbla. So that's also really cool. Um, and then he also welcomes everyone who dies in battle, uh, a.k.a. the Einherjar. I'm probably butchering all of these Scandinavian pronunciations. So I'm just going to take a little side and say I looked up the phonetics, but yeah, I'm not a Scandinavian linguistic specialist, so I'm doing my best. Uh, but he welcomes the men who die in battle in his glorious hall in Valhalla, where they fight each other to the death all day, come back to life at night, get drunk and have a feast, which is served by the Valkyries, uh, which is the, 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 the shield maidens that are also led by Odin. Uh, and then they supposedly drink till they pass out, wake up and start the whole thing over again. So just waiting party. for Ragnarok to happen. So they party all night, they fight to the death all day, and then they come back to life and do the whole thing again. So, you know, I, I feel like that probably passes the time till the apocalypse. So, um, but, you know, they just drink mead and ale and, and then kill each other. But then, you know, they're, they're friends again at night. Um, so we're going to circle back around to this uh, as well. But one of the things he's known for is wisdom. And one of the really interesting things I thought about where he gets his wisdom is that he has an embalmed head what? wait what yeah an embalmed head in a jar of herbs that he asks for advice and guidance such as when to lead the Einar jar to the apocalyptic final battle with the wolf at ragnarok wow. wolf demon um so the head is called mimir and don't all of these names kind of sound like Lord of the Rings names, though? I mean... Oh, definitely. Uh, so Mimir was actually the guardian of the Well of Knowledge, situated at the scenic base of Yggdrasil, the Tree of Life. Um, and when Odin... So one of the reasons that Odin has this amazing wisdom is that he wanted to drink from the well. And uh, Mimir... Mimir uh, you know, kind of decided if he could or not, or like what he would have to do to get that sweet well water. Uh, and so he was like, yeah, you gotta throw your eye in, like pluck your eye out, huh. and throw it in. So almost like the story in the Garden of Eden, mm -hmm. where the tree of knowledge and to eat the fruit, then mm -hmm. they sacrifice eternal life. So yeah, uh, Mimir, and this is the thing, it's like Norse mythology is so... You know, they, like, reference these other stories, but I'm really trying to, like, keep it close to just being about Odin. So I will say, at some point, Mimir got beheaded and is, like, a, basically a talking head in a jar that gives Odin advice. <laughs> All of um, Futurama. <laughs> right, exactly. So um, he does have children, Odin does. Uh, his most well-known children, though, are Thor, the god of thunder, and Baldur, the, the fairest of the gods, uh, whose mother was Freya, um, and very tragic. And I think you're talking a little bit about mistletoe later on. I, is that a spoiler? No, no, I, I am talking about mistletoe, though. So we can I mean, spoil yeah, it. I, you know, it's like I did just want to kind of say Balder got a raw deal and mistletoe. Can we trust it? Uh, uh, not if you're a tree, definitely. And apparently not if you're a Norse god either. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, Loki had a lot to do with that as well, you know. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't Loki. just the mistletoe. I mean, Loki's very tricky. Um, but yeah, so Mimir, who we already know, um, gave him the knowledge, though, after he sacrificed his eye to aid in protecting the world, a.k.a. the rotting corpse of a dead giant, uh, to protect that world from the ever-encroaching frosty death of the ice giants um so there's a little bit of symbolism to odin too that i think is important uh, so odin is known to communicate through ravens he rides around in a cart drawn by wolves which is so cool which yeah what a cool way to get around i mean honestly um and oh here's a fun one 
Odin and uh, Frigg, his wife, bet on the the goings on in the human world. Oh, that's so hilarious. They, so they like they're like it's what they entertain themselves with. They like bet with each other, um, you know, like who's gonna win what war, and they kind of you know they like prank each other with it too. So it's a very interesting dynamic there. Um, but yeah, so Odin uh, involved with Yule typically wisdom war to a certain extent death to a certain extent so he's like he's you know he has it he's got his fingers in a lot of different pies odin pie hands you know odin pie hands well um, and it's so interesting too because when you're talking about just like all of this stuff that odin is associated with i keep hearing things that the morrigan is also associated with which i think is fascinating like ravens and wolves are big ones of course like involvement with like war like blood things like that um we'll definitely have to cover the morrigan at some point she's like i guess kind of like the celtic lady version of hardcore odin (laughs) celtic lady odin ooh, love it uh (laughs) but don't fuck with the morrigan no 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 no. amateurs out there please don't please just don't i thought for a minute the morrigan might have been like trying to call on me and i just stuck my head in the sand I was like, <laughs> right, right, right. I, I'm like, maybe not. Let's not. It's fine. It's cool. It's fine. Fu- it's good. totally cool to take a rain check on that one. Yeah. Yep. It, I just went through a period where I kept seeing like three ravens all the time. Right. Which. Yeah. I was like, no, thank you. Running away. It's like, those are not the three little birds Bob Marley was talking about. I'll tell nope. you that much. Nope. 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 <laughs> well, no. So, I mean, one of the things with these dd profiles though is that there's there's literally so much and most of the information we actually have about these stories was taken down in the 13th century in iceland by people who had mostly already converted to christianity yeah so it's it's not it's not a fully complete record no and it is interesting because the more we're doing these deity profiles i mean you know that i am uh a bit of a history nerd and It's fascinating listening to like the hierarchy of the gods here, like Odin being sort of the creator of Earth, but having parents. I mean, a lot of that really aligns with sort of like Christian Gnosticism, which it kind of was they were trying to basically sort out how an allegedly perfect God could create an imperfect world. And so, of course, like a lot of mythos like blames humanity on that. But the Christian Gnostics were like, nah, man, like. Only an imperfect God could create an imperfect world, which means there must be a higher level God than like the Yahweh of like Jewish tradition and ultimately of Christianity, Um, which it seems like is almost exactly set up like the Norse system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Odin had parents. Yeah, yeah. You know, they probably fucked him up like everyone else's parents did. It's interesting. I just love religious theory. I also think is fascinating, but I do think it's good. Like, and it's important, I think, too, to note, like you said, like these are just very kind of like surface intros to these mm, like mm-hmm. gods and goddesses. And at some point, Nick and I are considering putting together a Patreon and maybe doing some more in-depth episodes on gods and goddesses. Oh, so, yeah, like a whole episode about Odin, because honestly, I we kind of need it. Maybe a series of episodes about Odin. And I think that that's something we think is really interesting. And if you as a listener would be interested in that type of information, let us know. Because again, it's like we want to make content that you guys enjoy. And this is something we think is fascinating. But we'd also hope that it's interesting to you. So definitely like let us know. Let us know. So Let us know. (laughs) Yes. You did a really great primer here on different herbs for the Yule season. I did indeed. So I know normally I cover like one plant and go kind of like deep on it. But since we were talking about Yule and like doing this fun, like kind of overview of Odin, I thought this would be an interesting time to sort of like cover just a few of my favorite like plants and herbs for the season. And then like talk about ways you can kind of incorporate them into your Yuletide celebrations because, you know, Yule is coming up. It's a great time to like decorate your altar, to think about like decorating your home. And also like, you know, some of these are super easy to incorporate 
even if you're in the broom closet, because they're also like just associated with Christmas because, you know, the early Christians took everything from the pagans. So. Right. Well, it's like Holly and Mistletoe. <laughs> your right? first two here. I mean, both of those are literally like Christmas decorations. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I've got a few sources here. I mean, of course, Entering Hecate's Garden and Queering Your Craft, which are two books I've already spoken about, um, but also MoodyMoons.com, TheDruidsGarden.com, and GroveAndGrotto.com. Those are all three like great websites and I've, I've pulled some stuff from there as well um but like nick said i want to start with holly because i feel like if you are trying to imagine plants around the holidays holly has got to be like one of the first things that comes to mind for most people i would think um you know of course it's associated with like the holly king himself who we'll talk about a little bit more in next week's episode uh, but it's it's pretty it's associated with protection. You know, it's like kind of spiky, you know, clearly it can take out a Norse god. Um, so this time of year, you know, when the veil is thinner, extra protective measures, I think, are smart. And so holly is perfect in that like spiritual sense, too, because it's like it's a beautiful decoration, but it also does bring about this like intense protective energy. Uh, and so things like hanging a sprig of holly in your house can be a really pretty touch that brings like, again, luck and protection. And then I also saw a recipe for making holly water. And so basically you just like soak holly leaves in water for, you know, a few days. You could pick a moon water with the phase that you're trying to, you know, really, you know, the the phase that you're you're trying to incorporate into your magic and i love the idea of using this for like a floor wash um that's mm, something mm. it's from like the hoodoo tradition and uh i see a lot of like you know contemporary witches of different uh backgrounds utilizing a type of floor wash but i do want to like that's where it comes from it comes from the hoodoo tradition but essentially you're adding stuff you like clean your floors you do the sweeping you do the regular mopping and then you can blend together like you know, oils, moon water, things that you're wanting to like utilize for protection, maybe bringing in prosperity and good luck. And then you go around your floors with that. And so it's not actually to physically clean, but it's to kind of like soak the floors of your home in the magical properties of whatever you're putting together. And so I love the idea, especially at the holidays, like if you have family coming over, making some holly water and doing a floor wash with that. Um, you can also, you know, sprinkle it at your doorways or use it uh, to dress a candle. Like maybe you're making a sweetening the deal jar. I know we keep bringing mm. those up, but I feel mm. like they're so good this time of year. But Throwback. like, yeah, like dress a candle for that, you know, with the holly water. So you're getting that extra protection as well, in addition to doing the sweetening the deal. So no, I. I, I will I do just want to kind of jump in here though and say that one of the really nice things about Holly too, uh, and I've seen this a lot in Texas, so I can't only speak from my personal experience, is there's actually a lot of holly bushes and little holly trees used in uh landscaping, and it's not nearly as popular as it used to be, but they're very iconic. They have the little red berries, you know, and they just look a real treat at, at Christmas. They do. Time. They're beautiful. Don't eat the berries. Don't eat the um, berries. <laughs> but they also that. have those really like waxy leaves. Yeah, so the you know, leaves if, are beautiful. If you do hang up mistletoe, um, it can get a little limp. It can get a little sad looking pretty yeah. quickly, if I'm being honest. But those, those holly wreaths and those um, holly wands and stuff that people will make will stay pretty green and fresh looking a lot longer than you think. So just something, oh, you know. It's uh, you're going to get some bang for your buck if you, you really take are. the time to go out and forage some holly. And, you know, even if you can't forage it, you know, buying some, it's really easy to find this time of year. You know, you can add it to things like garlands and wreaths. Again, mm. really low key ways to sort of give your witchy self some representation in the holiday decorations, um, especially if it's like you aren't the owner of the home. Like maybe you live at home with parents or maybe you live with roommates. Holly and garlands and wreaths is a great thing for extra protection. And it's, again, it's super low key. Um, but Nick also was talking about mistletoe. So mistletoe, I think it's really important to point out that they're hemiparasites. So mistletoe does perform like some photosynthesis for a period of their life cycle for the trees that they're on. But in some species of mistletoe, its contribution is like almost nothing. So mistletoe can actually like take over and kill trees. 
So just be aware of that. If if you are a person who owns a home and has a tree with mistletoe, it's cute, but like keep an eye. Um, but of course, like I think we're all really familiar with the tradition of like you kiss under mistletoe and it has this like beautiful association with like peacemaking because speaking of the Norse, um, the Norsemen would lay down their arms if they met beneath a growth of mistletoe. Um, and Pliny actually wrote that the Druid elders performed rituals where they would harvest mistletoe from oak trees with like golden sickles under the waxing moon, Natch, and then they'd feed it to the animals to guarantee their fertility. And if you want to like, I can't imagine like a more quintessentially like Druid image than having like golden sickles under a waxing moon. Like... <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Harvesting mistletoe to make a fertility potion for your right. animals. Oh my God, exactly. Um, but mistletoe again, is like, it's another easy one to decorate with. And like Nick said, it's great to also add to stuff like with holly because it does kind of wilt pretty quickly if you're getting like fresh mistletoe but you know sprigs of mistletoe around your home and on tabletops and vases bowls or there's even a thing that's called like a kissing ball that some people will hang in the doorway um and they can be really as intricate or as simple as you'd like but you know they're they're really beautiful you can get like a little you know, basically you're just like making a sphere out of it. So you can get some sort of like decorative, like um, I've seen like wicker balls and then you can oh, like yeah, 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 yeah. weave mistletoe through it and decorate it and then hang that in your doorway. And, and so, it- um, oh, I was going to say like the idea of like hanging the mistletoe in the doorway in like a ball. I'm just thinking of like a Christmas ornament for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it could be a really cute little Christmas ornament too. And, you know, this time of year, we were kind of talking about it earlier, right? It's like, this is new beginnings. This is a time for like turning over, rebirth. And so if you're working on spells about like maybe ending strife in your life, like maybe there's like a pain or a trauma you're trying to let go of, you know, maybe keep some mistletoe around, maybe soak some mistletoe in water for a couple of days and use the water to dress a candle. Again, don't eat it. Yeah, mistletoe um, is toxic. Yeah, it's toxic. Don't to eat people. it. Mm-hmm. But you can also even just add like a little bit to your altar, you know, just to sort of like bring in that spirit of like peacemaking and like forward motion and letting go of past, you know, of past grievances. I think it's got, you know, that very sort of like holiday spirit about it. Um, and uh, just on like a, you know, since we were talking about foraging a little bit uh, with the holly, Uh, One of the best places, again, in Texas, but I know mesquite is actually pretty prevalent through the Southwest, uh, parts of like the lower Midwest, you know, like Oklahoma, some parts of Colorado, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've never seen a mesquite tree in California, but I don't I haven't either. I, I mean, at least not where I live in California. But if you live somewhere with a lot of mesquite trees, there is usually some mistletoe in a mesquite tree. And it's very easy to spot because it's literally the only thing in the tree that doesn't look like the rest of the tree. Yeah. Um, and mesquite trees also very thorny. So be careful, but they're kind of low. So yeah. in it's some, easier to get, I think. It's than some easier to get from a mesquite tree. If you're out foraging anyway, you know, mesquite, even just a little bit in your fire smells lovely. So if you have mesquite trees around, it's a very easy place to go get some mistletoe. Yeah, I love that. And speaking of trees, so I feel like you can't talk about trees and Yule without talking about birch trees. Like birch trees are very traditional in Yule logs, mm-hmm. um, like you you know mentioned earlier. And I think the most wonderful thing about birches is they're what's called a pioneering species. So if there's like a major fire or massive logging that has demolished a forest, birch trees are usually the first trees to grow back. And Mm, because of that, they've like got this long association with like regeneration and renewal and protection. Um, And it's actually one of the 22 sacred trees in the Celtic Agam, um, the sacred tree alphabet. And I've also seen birch called the lady of the woods which i love can i also be the lady of the woods yes i give you official permission wands and fronds exclusive nick paul is the lady of the woods fantastic Um. (laughs) okay so i did want to say though so we're talking about norse mythology we're talking about odin we're spending time in scandinavia and 
of course, I, I did read this just a little bit before we started recording. And you, ma'am, yeah. have a huge hole in your research. So before we go on, okay, you know saunas are huge in Scandinavia. Yeah, of course. And did you know, I'm sure you did, but the ritual in the sauna is to take a bundle of birch twigs, like maybe mm. you would be painting blood on your walls with, um, but no, no, it has to be birch though. And you um, swat at yourself with the twigs uh, to to cleanse your body. Oh, I love that. So yeah, while you're in the sauna, that. you like whip. Yeah, yeah, because you'll see them in like the really traditional saunas. Yeah, they have the the birch twigs, and they like whip. They almost like whip themselves on the back with it. But you also like you know you slap your legs with it. You do your chest. You like hit yourself all over. Um, and yeah. Scandinavians love birchwood. I love that. Well, and and that also makes sense then that, you know, birch is also like traditionally used for things like the witch's basin too. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, But even with, you know, just sort of the mundane, like birch is really awesome. It's like a natural diuretic. Uh, Some people drink birch tea, like if they've got like a UTI, because it can like cleanse and like, you know, help sort of like wash out the stuff that sets up in there that causes the infection. And some people also used to use it as like an external, like sort of skin tonic and a remedy for sore muscles. But it's really important to note that people who are allergic to aspirin should not use birch because it actually does contain um, salicylate, which is the thing that does like it causes the pain relieving. Oh, sure, um, sure. Isn't that also uh, in in the willow bark that they used to use to make? Yes, yes, like exactly. Like old school aspirin. Yeah, old school aspirin, yes. And so when you're thinking about the magical uses, though, it's like I feel like the connection between like physical pain and emotional pain is something that we're learning so much more about as we sort of gain more understanding of the way the human body functions. You know, the fact that we like physically hold emotional trauma in our body. And because of that, it makes sense that like Birch is said to offer sustained emotional healing, increased stability, and also support your work if you're in areas of things like Focus, freedom, protection, purification, well-being, self-work, and wisdom. Um, And so, you know, we've talked about this being a great time of year to do shadow work. And sort of leading up to Yule, I think, is perfect because the solstice represents like the longest night of the year. And then things will slowly start to get lighter and lighter and lighter. And because of that, I think leading up to Yule is a perfect time for shadow work. And so with Birch's power, I think that, you know, maybe using a sheet of Birch paper to draw that picture or representation of your shadow self that we talked about in a previous episode, like that would be, I feel like really perfect and powerful. Um, And Birch paper is, it strips of the dried bark and it's super valuable for spellcraft, but like be careful when you're buying it because especially at like craft stores, a lot of times it's like they're imitations of birch paper that aren't actually marked that way. So just beware. Um, but yeah, I think that like using birch for shadow work and like healing is like so perfect. And especially this time of year. And I would, you know, things like the witch's basem, it's also used for Beltane fires and maypoles too. So, you know. Oh, I cannot wait until we do the episode about maypoles. I know. Um, and of course, birch is great for Yule logs. Like when you're making Yule logs, definitely think about using a piece of birch. And again, like birch paper on hand for spellcraft is awesome. There are amazing essential oils for candle dressing. Just like maybe don't buy anything that's like birch scented online. You should really give it a real smell because I've smelled a lot of like really bad birch scented stuff that is just like not even close. Oh, you and you can tell the difference. You 100% can tell the difference. You definitely can. Um, And then last, I think this is one of my personal favorites. Um, I use this essential oil all the time. So when you're thinking about the winter holidays, uh, many of you have probably heard the story about like baby Jesus lying in the manger, getting the gifts from the three magi, and one of them brings him frankincense. Which is just, I, you know, for anyone out there that's wondering, what is a good gift to bring a baby? Incense. <laughs> Top of yeah. the list. Right. Frankincense, myrrh, gold. <laughs> right. 
Um, but I, I love frankincense. I mean, it is really phenomenal for so many things. And it's, it was really common, especially in like the ancient Mediterranean practices, like the Greek magical papyri lists frankincense, like second only to myrrh and like the different sort of like rituals in there. Um, and in modern Hecatean witchcraft, the oleum spiritus of frankincense is actually said to bring magic medicine and mystery and make them all readily available. And it is this like really, it's a gorgeous smell. Um, And it's really good for like things like cleansing and meditation. And, you know, you can use essential oils for ritual cleansings in your bath. Um, You can also get resins, like little chunks of the resin and like burn them on charcoal discs or even- Smells so good too. It does. And if you, you know, if you're wanting some type of oil, but you don't have- you know, the actual essential oil, you can actually infuse a carrier oil by placing like a few pieces of resin in it and then sort of letting it marinate for a few weeks. Um, And so I, I have to like say it though, because I feel like it would be irresponsible not to Um, over harvesting has become a really big threat to the global Boswellia populations, which is like the type of tree these are harvested from. Um, I mean, the way that, it's harvested is they basically create a bunch of little incisions in the trunk or branches and the like the milky substance that comes out coagulates and when it's harvested you know it's it's hardened basically by the air and the trees don't actually start producing resin until they're like eight to ten years old so you can't get it from saplings um but there's been this like huge rise in global demand And so unsustainable harvesting practices are becoming more common. And essentially what that means is they're making more and more cuts per tree to try and extract as much sap as possible and tapping the uh, the trees year round rather than seasonally. And those practices weaken the trees and they don't recover often and ultimately they end up dying. Uh, And a lot of scientists have been saying that the global population of Boswellia trees will actually be reduced by half over the next 20 years. So... When you're buying frankincense, I really, 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 really want you to be super thoughtful. I mean, the best practice for you is to be able to trace exactly where your product comes from. There are more sustainable sources, but you do have to do like the extra legwork and the research. And, you know, I think it's worth the extra steps because this is such like a powerhouse spiritually and magically throughout the ages. Like it's important that we protect that. And, and I would say, and I would say that that really applies to almost anything that is not a fully renewable resource. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's important. Um, I just, I, uh, frankincense especially. And again, this is not to like, I think it's also important when we're talking about sustainability issues, like this isn't the fault of like the farmers who are trapped in poverty cycles that are forced to do this right, right, over right. harvesting because I feel like sometimes you get that narrative that like, oh, it's the farming practices, but it's it's not the farming practices are a symptom of the larger issue of intense global demand that's driven by things like Amazon. So right. But I think I think what you're saying is that um I mean from the farmer's perspective, if you didn't buy it or the company you bought it from didn't buy it, someone else would. They're going to make probably the same amount of money regardless. Yeah. But if you are making the decision to buy from a supplier that wants to make it more sustainable, they can put the pressure on the farmers to be like, hey, we only want a sustainable frankincense. So if you're going to kill your tree gonna kill your trees we you know not interested so it's like you can affect change in yeah in that way it's important i mean especially you know we can rail against capitalism with the best of them but right (laughs) while we live in this system though like your dollar does matter and where you spend it matters and so i think especially as witches and people that are working with energies that's important but i wanted to like end this on my favorite funny story about frankincense. So the Roman emperor Nero literally burned an entire year's harvest of frankincense at the funeral of his favorite mistress, which actually disrupted frankincense trade in Rome for an entire year. Wow. Okay. 
I bet that smelled very strongly too. Oh God, can you imagine? Yeah, I mean, frankincense historically has also been used like the resins and stuff were used um, in like the bodies of like the dead to prevent the smell. Basically, it was like it smelled so strong that it would overcome the smell of decay. And so anyway, but it's also interesting to me that like early Christians expressly forbade the use of uh, frankincense because of its association with like paganism. But then like some denominations like, oh, you know, the Catholic Church uh, incorporated the burning of like frankincense and myrrh into their like different rites as well. And like it's isn't I just find that fascinating. Although uh, I, I do love, I mean, you know, I feel like we kind of have uh, some strong opinions about Christianity, but I love those little incense things they do at the mass, you know, where you swing it on the chain. Oh, yeah. I mean, Catholics, I really want to get those just for like my own personal incense. Yeah. The they're brassieres, right? I think is what they Yeah, called. I think so. Yeah. The Catholics are super ritual magic in their uh, worship practices, which I think is hilarious. But when you're thinking about how to use frankincense though, um, it again, I love the smell of it. And it's great for things like cleansing, meditation. And a lot of people also say it's good for like increasing psychic ability. So if you're gonna do like a guided meditation, you know, maybe burn some frankincense resin. Um, You can also just like display the resins on your altar in like a place of honor especially this time of year, but really year round. I mean, frankincense is amazingly powerful. So A plus plus. (laughs) I will say like on a fully non-witchcraft related note, um, one of my favorite blends of essential oils to do uh, just as like a, a cologne is lemongrass with a dab of frankincense. And that smells so good together, y'all. It's, Oh my God, I love that. Yeah, I, I use frankincense. I have like a bottle of frankincense essential oil in my bathroom because I always add a few drops to my bath. Yeah. Ex- and then so it's good. like, it's it's dual purpose though. You know, like I, I'm doing that bit because it's mostly lemongrass with just a dab of frankincense is yeah. really the point there. But um, I mean, you know, we're talking about all these like really great magical qualities that frankincense has inherently. So it's a double whammy. Yeah. It's I, a heavy I, hitter. I think it is a heavy hitter. We could do an entire episode just on frankincense, but it is my one of my favorites. And so I had to throw it in when we're talking about stuff around Yule, because of course it has like associations with this time of year, especially because of like the modern ties to like Christianity with the story of the three wise men. And at the time, frankincense would have been worth more than gold by the pound. So actually the dudes who brought frankincense and myrrh were like, they were the ones bringing the real money. Sure, sure, sure. You know, I just I just always thought that was like a really funny thing. It's like gold in 20 whatever, you know. You're like, oh, yeah, gold. That's a great gift. Anyone could use that. And you're like, incense, though. What's baby G going to do with that? Right. Put it in a rotting corpse so he doesn't have to smell it, I guess. I don't know. That, that'd be a real Norse way to use this. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so we're getting close to the end. So I'm. I'm doing the Terroscope this week. It's been a minute. Hello, everyone. Um, And I was really excited because this is actually for the Libras out there, our dear Libras. And I drew for you the Wheel of Fortune, which is just ridiculously perfect for Yule time. Um, It's also ridiculously perfect for Libra being all about balance. It is. And so, I mean, some people call like the Wheel of Fortune card, like the karma card, right? Because it is about like the cyclical nature of things. But on in my deck, the Wheel of Fortune is there are two birds at the top. And those are echoing sort of the themes of like wings and flight and change. And their their beaks are actually touching on top of the wheel, which is like the sweet representation of the loving relationships in life that sort of like anchor you when the world and other things continue to shift around you and on the four corners of the card they're the representations for the zodiac like the symbols for aquarius scorpio leo and taurus and those are the fixed signs of the zodiac and they kind of represent this like stability also amidst change and so the idea is like with the wheel of fortune 
something is changing. You know, it's like this card is telling you, dear Libras, a change is coming. And life is in a constant state of change, but one of these shifts is coming for you very soon. So, you know, if you're having a difficult time, you should know things are going to get better from here. And if you're in a period where things are going exceptionally well, first of all, fuck you. 2020 sucks for everyone. But also (laughs) things are going to get back to sort of a more normal state for you soon. And, you know, I think especially this time of year, the Wheel of Fortune card is a great reminder to you to sort of like cherish those beautiful moments, like those moments that you have with like your loved ones and friends and family and like, you know, you're in your practice because like life is fleeting and the wheel is going to keep turning and things will be gone before you know it. But most importantly, Libra's a change is a coming. And I, I, I do love this too. Like I said, cause like Libra with the, the imagery of balance and like, I feel like karma has a lot to do with like the rebalancing of of the universe yeah also every time i think about the wheel of fortune i think about like the the buddhist wheel of reincarnation too oh yeah no definitely i because i do feel like i mean in the way that i think the buddhist wheel of reincarnation i feel like the wheel of fortune is like it is a very like hopeful type of imagery because you know, if times are bad, that's going to pass. If times are exceptional, things will get back to normal. You know, it's this, it's sort of the beauty in the fact that nothing ever stops because it means that, you know, nothing lasts forever. And I mean, I know for me personally, in really tough times, like sometimes that's like what gets you through the day is knowing that it can't last forever. I mean, you can do anything for 10 seconds at a time. So yeah, that's what I say when I'm doing my like interval runs. I can do anything for a minute at a time, including right. running. <laughs> um, anyway, I think, my dear Libras, I have a feeling that it's good things for you coming. And I hope that that carries you through this holiday season. Yeah, I mean, um, they're, the, they're the kind of people that land on their feet. They are. They really are. Um, anyway, we love you, Libras. But I think that wraps things up for that today. wraps things up. We did already threaten, I think, to break into people's houses and threaten them if they don't review our yeah, podcast. If Give they us don't some leave stars. Us five stars specifically. I'm the Lady of the Woods, which is my official title now. Um, <laughs> I'm coming for you. So you can you can write us in a question for our live episode. You can leave us a review to let everyone on the webosphere know that you love this podcast, or you can deal with me, all right? And that is yeah. a threat, okay? It is. We um we love you guys, though, and we appreciate you. <laughs> I addition, love how you're like, yes, but we love you, though. <laughs> but we love you. Um, And really, we would love to hear from you. I mean, you can find us at Wands and Fronds Pod on Instagram. It's also our email address, wandsandfrontspod at gmail, but it's in the description of the podcast episode, so you don't have to remember that. But, you know, most importantly... What do we say to the bitches? We say to the bitches, blessed be bitches. Blessed be bitches. All right. Happy Yule. Goodbye. Roy, Roid Rage Shannon is coming for you.